Lesson number 77, Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 109 to 120. Now, I know that you haven't listened to the translation track. So what we're going to do today is something different. And that is that as I will do tafsir, I will read the word-to-word translation as well. Okay, so before I will do tafsir of any ayah, what will I do? I will read the word-to-word of that entire ayah or part of the ayah. So what do you have to do? Listen very attentively and you have to recognize by my tone what I am doing. So that you know whether you are taking notes or you have to mark the translation. And by this point, alhamdulillah, you should be able to do that anyway. The benefit is that you don't have to write it out. You just have to follow along and mark. And if there is any different word, then inshallah I will make sure that you have the time to write it down. يَوْمَ يَجْمَعُ اللَّهُ الرُّسُلَ On the day when Allah will assemble the messengers, فَيَقُولُ And He will say, مَاذَا أُجِبْتُمْ مَاذَا What is that? أُجِبْتُمْ You were answered. قَالُوا They will say, لَا عِلْمَ No knowledge. لَنَا For us. إِنَّكَ Indeed you, أَنْتَ You alone. Allamu. What do you have written before you? Allamu. One who is most knowing. Al-Ghuyub of the unseen. Yawma yajma'u Allahu rusul On the day when Allah will gather the messengers. When He will assemble all of the messengers. And not just the messengers, but also their nations with them. Because every nation will come with its messenger. Where? Before Allah to answer him. And which day is this? The day of judgment. The Prophet ﷺ is being addressed over here that remember this day, mention this day when Allah is going to gather all of the messengers from the first to the last, from Adam to Muhammad wasallam. And he will ask them. He will ask their people and he will also ask the messengers. In Surah Al-Hijr, Ayah 92, we learn, فَوَرَبِّكَ لَنَسْأَلَنَّهُمْ أَجْمَعِينَ Surely, by your Lord, we will definitely ask them all together. The prophets will be asked, their people will be asked. In Surah Al-A'raf, Ayah 6, فَلَنَسْأَلَنَّ الَّذِينَ أُرْسِلَ إِلَيْهِمْ وَلَنَسْأَلَنَّ الْمُرْسَلِينَ We will ask the people to whom the messengers were sent, and we will also ask the messengers. Because that is the day of questioning. That is the day when Allah will ask every person what he did. If he fulfilled his responsibilities or not. The responsibilities that Allah laid on him, and that he took upon himself from other people. Every person is going to be asked. And imagine over here, prophets are being questioned. Prophets of Allah, the most perfect of human beings. The human beings who were truly successful in this life. Who did what they were required to. They fulfilled their responsibilities. Yet Allah will question them. Did you fulfill your responsibility or not? Did you convey or did you not? Allah will ask them, then what about the rest of us? Who have fallen short in our duties for sure. But yet it is as though 
we live, we work as though nobody is ever going to question us about the moments that we have lived, about the blessings that we have enjoyed, about the salah that we are performing. Because if we remembered this, that we are going to be answerable to Allah, then our work would be very different. Our ibadah would be very different. Our dealings with people would be very, very different. So on the day when the messengers will be gathered and Allah will ask them. And over here, a very different question is mentioned. That the messengers will be asked, مَاذَا أُجِبْتُمْ What is it that you were responded? Meaning, when you conveyed to your people, what response did you get from them? Did they believe or did they not? Did they accept or did they not? Did they follow or did they not? What was the response that you got? Now, think about it. Should this question be asked from the prophets or should this question be asked from their people? That what response did you give to them? Because the prophets are not responsible for the response that they receive from the people, are they? No, they're responsible for what? For conveying. Who is responsible for the response? The people. So Allah is not asking the nations over here, what kind of response did you give to the messengers? Did you believe in your messenger? Did you follow him or did you not? No. Who is he questioning? The prophets. Why? Because in this process, the guilt of the people will be established. It will be proven. In the Quran we learn, that Allah will ask the infant girl who was killed, who was buried. وَإِذَا الْمَوْؤُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ When the little girl who was buried will be questioned, بِأَيِّ ذَنْبٍ قُتِلَتْ For which crime was she killed? Allah will ask her, what crime did you commit that you were killed? Did she commit any crime? Never. So, who is being reproached indirectly? Who is being reproached indirectly? The one who killed her. The one who killed her. This is just like one child has hit another child. And the parent sees that. And the parent doesn't go and ask the one who hit, where did you hit and why did you hit? He asks who? The other child. Where did you get hurt? Are you okay? And when you ask the one who is innocent, in this is what? Great embarrassment and humiliation for the one who is guilty. That he's not even able to speak over here, give an explanation as to why he did what he did. He's not even being asked. He's being ignored. He wants to say something to defend himself, but he cannot. He's not even being questioned. And it also shows that they are not worth being spoken to. That Allah will be so angry with those people that He will not even ask them. What kind of response did you give to your prophets? Allah will ask the prophets, what kind of response did you get? And this will reveal the crimes of the nations against their prophets. This will reveal their sins. And this in itself is great humiliation. So Allah will ask, مَاذَا أُجِبْتُمْ they will say, La ilmalana, we have no knowledge. We do not know. Do not know what? The response that was given to us. Really? 
Do they not know? Did Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam not know that Abu Bakr believed and Abu Jahl disbelieved? Did he not know? Yes, he did. Did the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not know that the Quraysh came in battle against him at Badr, at Uhud, at so many other occasions? Did he not know? Yes, he did. Did he not know that there were so many companions who were so sincere and honest to him, who were by his side despite the difficulties? Of course he knew. So then, why will the prophets say to Allah, we do not know about what kind of response we got? There are several explanations given about this. Firstly, it has been said that due to the horrors of that day, due to the fright of that day, the terror of that day, they will forget everything. Sometimes it happens that we know, we know the material, the book that we have studied, our lesson, everything really well. We have been studying it all week. We have been reviewing it until the last moment. But what happens when you see the test? Blank. Everything disappears from your head. Why? Because you are panicking too much. Then you need to calm down. You need to take a deep breath. You need to realize it's okay. And once you're calm, then you can recall everything. So because of the fright of that day, the prophets will say, La ilmalana, we don't know. Oh Allah, don't ask us. We don't know. Don't ask us. They will be so afraid. Imagine if the state of the prophets is this on the day of judgment, then what will be the state of the rest of us? Who think about a list of excuses to present before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for missing salah, for not wearing hijab for yelling at my parents, for not fulfilling my commitments. We have a list of explanations. I will say this, I will say this, I will say that. Really? If the prophets will say, La ilma lana, out of extreme fright, what will happen to you and I? What will happen to you and I? Others have said that the prophets will say, La ilma lana, because they are basically admitting their ignorance before Allah. That, oh Allah, compared to your knowledge, we have nothing. We know nothing. Our knowledge compared to yours is nothing. They will confess their ignorance before Allah. Just like the angels, what did they say? La ilma lana illa ma'allamtana. We have no knowledge except what you taught us. The prophets, they knew so much. They were given knowledge of certainty. They were given ilmul yaqeen. They were made to see things that we can never see in this world. They were taught things that we can perhaps never comprehend. They knew a lot, yet they admit their ignorance before Allah. Oh Allah, we don't know. You know everything, we don't know. And here we are, people who barely know anything, and we boast about the little bit of information that we have picked up from here and there. And we walk so confidently thinking that we know everything, and we can give fatwa here, and we can give fatwa there, and we can talk about the religion, and we can say whatever we want, because we know. I have studied this, and I have studied that, and I have the authority to speak. I mentioned to you earlier the story of Imam Malik, once a group of students traveled all the way to him, stayed with him for a number of days, every day they asked him questions. What about this? And what about this? And what about this? And every time he said, La adri, I do not know. I don't know the answer. Because if you don't know, you don't know. And it's not embarrassing to say, I don't know. Because you don't know. 
And that is the reality. It is of knowledge to say, I do not know. When a person says, I do not know, it shows that he has some knowledge. And when a person is guessing answers to everything, then it proves that he doesn't know anything. Likewise, scholars have said that they will say this, La ilma lana, out of respect for Allah. Just respect for Allah. Just like the companions, many times we see that the Prophet ﷺ asked them something. And even though they would know the answer, what would they say? Allahu wa rasuluhu a'lam. Allah and His Messenger know better. They could have guessed, but they wouldn't. Why? Out of respect for the Prophet ﷺ. Likewise, it has been said that the Prophets will say, La ilma lana, we do not know, because they really did not know the reality of the hearts of the people. Except for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them. Because they were to deal with people based on what? On the appearance. The reality of the heart, who knows? Only Allah knows. So they will say that, Oh Allah, you know. You know better. La ilma lana. We don't know who truly believed and who didn't. Whose iman will be accepted today and whose iman will be rejected today. We don't know who has passed and who has failed. And also if you think about it, the prophets only knew what kind of response they were getting as long as they were alive, as long as they were amongst their people. But once they passed away, once they left their nations, once they went to Allah, then they didn't know what happened after them. So they will say, La ilma lana, Oh Allah, we do not know. This is just like on the Day of Judgment we learn that the Prophet ﷺ, he will be at the Hawd, Hawd al-Kawthar. We learn about it, the pond of that water from which the Prophet ﷺ will give water to drink to his ummah. And he will see that there are certain people from his ummah, they are trying to come to him. And he would want to give water to them to drink. But those people will be stopped. They will not be allowed to go to the Prophet ﷺ to get water. And the Prophet ﷺ will say, They are people from my ummah. Leave them. Let them come. And he will be told that you do not know what kind of things they invented in the religion after you. So they're not from your ummah. Meaning they don't deserve to be here. They don't deserve any water from your hands on this day. Because you don't know what kind of things they invented after you. So the prophets, they will admit on the day of judgment, La ilma lana. We have no knowledge, O our Lord, because innaka anta allamul ghuyub. Indeed, you alone are allamul ghuyub, allam. Not just alim or alim, allam. Supremely aware. One who thoroughly knows, one who is completely familiar. You are the one who knows fully about what? Al-ghuyub, plural of ghayb. Meaning all matters of unseen. Everything that is hidden, only you know about it. Whether it is something that a person has kept in his heart, whether it was something done behind my back, whether it is something that's going on in a person's head, I don't know, only you know. إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ عَلَّامُ الْغُيُوبِ You alone are the one who is supremely aware of everything that is unseen. So when Allah is عَلَّامُ الْغُيُوبِ then what does that teach us? That we trust Him and we accept whatever that He tells us. We trust people who know only a little bit of this world, who have only one or two degrees. 
who have studied and taught for maybe just 10 years or 20 years. And we blindly follow them. We accept anything they tell us. But when it comes to the word of Allah, when it comes to the command of Allah, unfortunately many people, what do they want? An explanation, an evidence, a proof, some material proof to show that yes, what Allah has said is true and it is beneficial. Only then they will accept. It doesn't make any sense. When Allah is alamul ghuyub, then we trust Him. This is just like if there's, let's say, a mine where it is said that there are precious stones. And you know that precious stones are not always visible. Sometimes they're hidden within rocks. Then if there's a person who's working inside, what will he do? He will pick up a rock and say, oh, it's just a rock and he will throw it away? No, he will pick up every rock because you never know what's inside. So even though on the surface it appears to be a rock, he will pick it up. So just like that, when it comes to the words of Allah, even on the surface, if we don't understand, we accept it. We take it. Because it is based on whose knowledge? Allamul ghuyub. Then Allah says, إِذْ when قَالَ اللَّهُ قَالَ He said, or He will say, Allahu Allah. يَا Isa, O Isa, ibn Maryam, son of Maryam. Udkur, remember, ni'mati, my blessing. Alayka upon you. Wa'ala and upon walidatika, your mother. Now specifically, Isa alayhi salam is mentioned over here. How he will be asked on the day of judgment. And what's the purpose again? Why is he being asked? To indirectly rebuke his people. To indirectly rebuke the people who worshipped Isa alayhi salam. And one more thing I want you to notice over here is that all the verbs are mentioned in the past tense. It is as though, like, إِذْ قَالَ اللَّهُ قَالَ is, he said. So the future is mentioned in the past tense. Why does this happen? To show its certainty. Because what has happened in the past, it's definite. It's true. It has happened. You don't doubt about it because it has happened. So just like that, what is mentioned over here will definitely happen. There's no doubt about its occurrence. It will definitely take place. It's as certain as though it has already taken place. So specifically Isa alayhi salam is mentioned. Allah says that Allah will say to Isa alayhi salam, O Isa son of Maryam, remember my blessings upon you and my blessings upon your mother. Which blessings upon you? They'll be mentioned in the ayah. But why is he being told to remember the blessings which were bestowed upon his mother? Because a blessing that the parents enjoy, automatically children benefit from it. For example, if a mother has been granted knowledge, knowledge is what? A blessing. Then automatically her children, they're also blessed with that knowledge. Why? Because the mother will teach them. Because that knowledge has had an effect on the mother, which will affect the way that she will bring up her child. If a father has money, then automatically the child also benefits from that money. So this is the reason why Isa will be told to remember the blessings which Allah bestowed on his mother. Which blessings were given to Maryam? Many blessings. First of all, the fact that she was taken in by the Haikal, she could stay there. The first woman... It was unheard of that any girl would be dedicated over there and spend her life in the worship of Allah, in the service of the deen. She was given knowledge. 
And when she would be there, she was brought rizq, sent by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She was under the guardianship of Zakariya. And then she never got married and she had a child. You know, there are many girls, many women who love children, who want to have children, but they don't want to go through the difficulties of marriage because they don't like the idea of marriage. But they love to have children. So I'm not saying that marriage is difficult, okay? But it comes with its challenges. So does motherhood. But sometimes people want everything easy. So anyway, Maryam salam, she had a child without even being married. This was a miracle. Which other girl goes through this? So many blessings were given to her. And when she was accused by her people of adultery, her child spoke up in her defense. Imagine that somebody is falsely accusing you, you don't have words to defend yourself, and someone whom you never expected, they speak up and they defend you. So these were all blessings on Maryam. Now the blessings upon Isa salam are mentioned. Is when ayyattuka, I strengthened you, biruhi, with spirit, al-qudus, the pure. Tukallimun nasa, you would speak to the people. Fee in al-mahdi, the cradle, wa kahla, and in maturity. Wa id and when, alamtuka, I taught you, al-kitaba, the book, wal-hikmata, and the wisdom, wal-tawrata, and the Torah, wal-injil, and the injil. Allah says over here, remember my blessings upon you, when I supported you with Ruhul Qudus. Who is Ruhul Qudus? The pure spirit? Jibril. It is one of the titles of Jibril, Angel Jibril. And Jibril has many titles, many descriptions. In the Quran, he is described as Amin, as Qawi. Just like people have different strengths, they have different qualities. Some have more, others have less. Just like that, the angels also, among them is also a difference. Some angels have been granted qualities which others don't have. And Jibril is at the top. So, Ruhul Qudus, the pure spirit. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I helped you with Angel Jibreel. Meaning, Angel Jibreel was sent to help Isa salam at almost every point in his life. While he was in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like, remember the time when the Prophet wasallam, when he went to a Jewish tribe to talk to Asked them to have a share in the blood money that the people of Medina had to give to the people of Makkah because there was an accidental murder. And according to the Treaty of Medina, that if there was any such situation, Jews had to take a share in that blood money. So what happened? They said, okay, we'll just discuss and come back to you. Please have a seat. The Prophet ﷺ sat against a wall and they conspired that we will go and throw this huge rock on Prophet ﷺ so that he will die right here and this whole matter is finished. And they were about to do it. But what happened? Allah sent Jibreel to tell Muhammad ﷺ to leave immediately. So Allah helped Prophet ﷺ how? Through? Through? Jibreel. The mushrikeen, they said very derogatory verses of poetry about the Prophet ﷺ to insult him. It was like the media of that time basically. So the Prophet ﷺ had Hassan bin Sabit, one of his companions, save verses of poetry in praise of the Prophet ﷺ as an answer to what the mushrikeen had done. So the Prophet ﷺ prayed, 
اللهم ايده بروح القدس او الله help him through the pure spirit meaning with jibril that let jibril help him in this situation that jibril you know puts words in his heart so that he can say the most eloquent verses the most truthful poetry and we see this that where shaitan whispers in the heart of a person an angel also does so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala helped his servants with who jibril alayhi and isa alayhi especially got the help of who jibril so id ayyatuka bi ruh al-qudus and with this help tukallimu an-nas fi al-mahdi wa kahla you would speak to the people in the cradle and also in maturity in the cradle who can fit in a cradle a child that's five years old no way who can fit in a cradle only a baby only until that baby weighs maximum 10 pounds which is why they have maximum weight for car seat and cradle and everything so a very small baby can fit in a cradle allah says you spoke in the cradle allah taught you how to speak when you were still a baby have you ever heard a baby babbling or cooing have you ever heard a baby making sounds they sound very cute and sometimes you think that the baby said mama or you think or you hope that the baby said what you think he said right but that's not the case because the baby is just making sounds he doesn't really mean to say anything but imagine isa alayhi salam he pronounced the words perfectly he spoke clearly eloquently tukallimun nas he addressed the people when he was a baby in a cradle if a baby tries to talk he's not able to pronounce every letter every sound why because he doesn't know how to move the tongue the teeth are not even there he's not able to pronounce the words clearly so this was a miracle that isa alayhisalam spoke in the cradle why did he speak in the defense of his mother and in order to call people to the worship of allah he started da'wa from when from the time that he was a baby what do we think i'm only 15 how can i do da'wa how can i call people to allah we say i'm only 20 how can i call people to allah when i'll be 30 when i'll be 40 when i'll be an auntie then i'll do this stuff no when you know then you have to call people to allah isa alayhi was a baby that's when he started his da'wa tukallimun nas fi al-mahdi wa kahlan kahl is what maturity the age of maturity about 30 to 40 or some scholars say 50 years of age so basically in that age also he spoke to the people and this is an indication that he will return and then he will call people to the worship of allah wa id allamtuka al-kitaba wal-hikma and recall when i taught you the book kitab over here refers to kitaba not book but writing in particular So if you want you can even change the translation over here of al-kitab from the book to writing that he was taught how to write Now you might say yeah everyone knows how to write but back then it was a special skill that only some people possessed to be able to write and now also we see that many people can scribble words but everyone cannot write beautifully and many people can write beautiful writing but those words they're useless they're meaningless they're not effective at all you know there are some pieces of writing which when you read you don't understand what the author is trying to say 
you get bored. You read one paragraph and you have to read it again. And you really have to motivate yourself to read on. And there are some other pieces of writing which when you start reading, you don't want to stop, which is why people keep reading even when they're sitting on the toilet. You know what I'm talking about. So why? Because the way it has been written is so captivating. This is kitab. That skill, that ability to write well. And everyone does not have this ability. Everyone does not have the strength. So if Allah has given the strength to someone to write well, and write really well, then they should use the skill in the way of Allah. Because Allah didn't teach them the skill for them to waste it. No, Allah gave it to them so that they could make their akhirah. So if Allah has given you the skill to write well, use it to make your akhirah. Use it for the service of the deen. Use it to write good things. People blog about the most random things, about the kind of food they ate, the kind of products they're buying. I mean, if you're blogging, you have the time to do that. Write something decent. Write something that's beneficial. So he was taught how to write well. And also he was taught hikmah, wisdom. How to do what, in what manner, and when, and how much, in what style, in what way. This is wisdom. He was taught this wisdom. And he was taught the knowledge of the Torah and the Injil. It is said that when he was of age 12, very young, imagine, age 12, at this age also, he would quote the verses of Torah that people would be shocked. People would be amazed. You know, sometimes you're hearing a lecture and you hear a scholar not just recite an ayah from the Quran, not just mention its translation, but they also mention the chapter number and the verse number. And they don't just mention one reference, but they mention one, two, three, four, so many. And you may think, okay, perhaps they have memorized these five or six references. And then every few minutes, they're quoting references. Are you thinking about somebody? For example, Dr. Zakir Naik. You listen to his lectures and you're amazed. And it's not just the Qur'an. It's also these books that we've never read, that we've never even seen. And he's quoting them with references. Translation as though memorized, as if he was reading from somewhere. And you wonder, does he have something before him? This is knowledge. That you know it so well, you can read it from anywhere. You will see these videos of these little children who are being tested. That someone will recite a part of an ayah from the Qur'an and that child will complete the ayah and keep reading. Or that child will tell you where that ayah is, in which surah, on which page, which part of the page. Because they know it so well. And this is a gift. This is really a gift. Isa was given the knowledge of the Torah and the Injil in this way. وَإِذْ and when تَخْلُقُوا You create. مِنْ from أَطِّينِ The clay. كَهَيْأَةِ Like form. أَطَّيْرِ Of the bird. بِإِذْنِ With my permission. فَتَنْفُخُوا so you blow fiha in it, fatakunu, so it becomes tayran, a bird, biidni with my permission. Watubriu, and you cure al akmaha, the born blind, wal abrasa, and the leper, biidni with my permission. Waid and when tuhriju, you bring out al mauta, the dead ones, biidni with my permission. Over here, the special miracles that Isa was given are mentioned. 
He's being reminded that this is also a blessing that you were given. The ability to perform these miracles. What? That you would make from clay the form of a bird. But notice, بِإِذْنِ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him permission to do this. And he has not given permission to other people to do this. To make sculptures of living things. He has not given us permission to do that. But Isa was given that permission. And then what would happen? He would blow in it. And what would happen? That sculptor would turn into a live bird and just fly off. Can you imagine? Just picture it in your head. Somebody takes some clay, forms a bird, blows, and it flies off like a bird. A real bird. If you would see that, I'm sure you would wonder, how is this person doing it? And it's not just this skill. It's also the fact that, وَالتُبْرِئُ الْأَكْمَهَ وَالْأَبْرَصَ You would cure the born blind, someone who's born blind, never seen anything. He would read certain kalimat, and as a result, that born blind person was able to see. abras, Someone suffering from leprosy. A very severe disease, very difficult disease that can cause many deformities on the body. And imagine, they would be cured. Dead people, he would bring them out of their graves. It is said that he would go by the grave of a dead person, recite some kalimat and say, come out. And that person would come out of the grave. Imagine somebody coming out of the grave alive. Scary, but amazing. That how did this happen? I was at a beach once. It was a turtle beach. So basically a place where turtles come and they lay their eggs. And all of a sudden we see things coming out of the sand and crawling towards the water. And when we went and saw, it was actually baby turtles coming out of the sand. And we started looking closely. And suddenly you would see a movement in the sand. And then you would see a head poking out, and then you would see hands poking out, and then a thing crawling out. And it's out completely, and it's running off to the water. And it reminded me of resurrection, that how on the Day of Judgment people will come out of their graves. And imagine the people of Isa, the Bani Israel, they saw this. Now if you see this happening, a human being coming out of the grave because of the kalimat of Allah that are recited, you think it's difficult for Allah to cause this to happen on the Day of Judgment? And yet if a person refuses to believe in the Akhirah, then he really has a problem. So all these amazing miracles. But notice how bi'idni is mentioned over and over again. Because he was not able to do all this out of his own accord, out of his own power. He only did this because Allah allowed it to happen. The prophets weren't able to do anything themselves. It was because of Allah's special permission and help because of which they could accomplish what they did. وَإِذْ كَفَفْتُ And when I restrained Bani Israel, the children of Israel, anka from you, idjitahum when you came to them, bilbayinati with the clear proofs. Fakala so he said, Alladina kafaru, those who disbelieved, minhum from them, in not hada this illa except sihrun magic mubin obvious, clear, one that is clear. Isa when he presented all of these amazing miracles to the people, what should the people have done? 
Listen to him. We see a person performing one magic trick and we know it's fake. It's only a trick. But yet, people will run to watch that magic show. And that magician will say, clap everybody. And everybody will clap. And he will say, stop. And everybody will stop. He will give the most ridiculous instructions and people will follow. Why? Because the tricks that he's performing are so amazing. Here is a prophet performing real miracles. But did those hard hearts soften at all? Did they believe at all? Did they listen at all? No, they didn't. They didn't like what he told them. And like the habit of Bani Israel was, that every time someone told them something they didn't want to listen, they didn't just reject them. They went to the extent of killing them. So they attempted to kill Isa alayhi salam as well. But what happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, كَفَفْتُ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ He restrained them. كَفَّ يَكُفُّ is what? To restrain. He didn't let them. He stopped them from harming Isa alayhi salam. He protected Isa alayhi salam. When? إِذْ جِئْتَهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ When you brought them clear signs, clear proofs, فَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْهُمْ إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا سِحْرٌ مُبِينٌ But the disbelievers are among them, they said, this is nothing except clear magic. Clear evidences, clear signs, and what do they call it? Magic. And it happens even today. That you could give the most obvious of proofs, the most logical evidences, but someone who doesn't want to accept, someone who doesn't want to listen, they will not listen. They will not accept. وَإِذْ and when أَوْحَيْتُ I inspired إِلَى تُو الْحَوَارِيِّينَ The disciples and that aminu you all believe be with me wa and bi rasuli with my messengers qalu they said amanna we believe washhad and bear witness bi annana that indeed we muslimun are muslims ones who are submissive Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds Isa salam of yet another blessing that when there were so many people the whole nation that was calling you a magician. They called the miracles magic. What happened? أَوْحَيْتُ إِلَى الْحَوَارِيِّينَ I inspired the disciples. أَوْحَيْتُ from wahi, And wahi literally means to inspire, to communicate secretly. And as a technical term, wahi refers to the revelation that was given to the prophets by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But over here, remember that the word wahi is being used in its literal sense, not as a technical term. Because wahi, as a technical term, is used only for who? The prophets of Allah. Because only they received revelation. But the word wahi is also used in its literal sense. Like for example, in the Quran, Allah says, وَأَوْحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى النَّحْلِ And your Lord did wahi to the honeybee. Does it mean that honeybees are prophets? They were given revelation? No. What does it mean? That they were instructed by Allah. Allah put it in their heart. So just like that, the Hawarijin, the disciples, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired them. He just put it in their hearts. You know, sometimes you just have this feeling. You do istikhara and you just have this feeling that, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Or I should not do this. And you're very satisfied with that decision. So Allah inspired to the Hawarijin the disciples and Hawari, as you know, is sincere friend, someone who is sincere and pure in Zahir, in Batun, on the apparent, and also 
inwardly, someone who is honest and dedicated. And basically it's used for the honest, the true supporters and believers of the prophets. And especially the supporters, the believers in who? Isa alayhi salam. So the Hawariyin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired them, believe in me and also in my messenger. So what happened? They said, yes, we believe. So they believed in Allah, they believed in Isa alayhi salam, and they said, وَشْهَدْ بِأَنَّنَا مُسْلِمُونَ And bear witness that we are Muslims, we submit to Allah, we do believe. And this is amazing, that there is a crowd of people who is refusing to believe in the Prophet of Allah. Yet from among them, there are 12 people who believe. It will happen in your life that sometimes you will call people to something, you will ask them to do something, and you will ask so many people, everyone will say no, and you will say, I printed these many flyers, I called so many people, I sent an email to 50 people, but you know what? Only two people responded. Well, you know what? Be grateful that even those two people responded. Because if even one person is guided to the truth through you, that is much better for you than red camels, which are really expensive. You're talking about red Porsches or something. So, 12 disciples believed in Isa salam. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds Isa salam of this as what? As a blessing. That remember this. This was a blessing. Let's listen to the recitation. يَوْمَ يَجْمَعُ اللَّهُ الرُّسُلَ فَيَقُولُ مَاذَا أُجِبْتُمْ قَالُوا لَا عِلْمَ لَنَا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ عَلَّامُ الْغُيُوبِ إِذْ قَالَ اللَّهُ يَا عِيسَى بْنَ مَرْيَمَ اذْكُرْ نِعْمَتِي عَلَيْكَ وَعَلَى وَالِدَتِكَ إِذْ أَيَّتُكَ بِرُوحِ الْقُدُسِ إِذْ أَيَّتُكَ بِرُوحِ الْقُدُسِ تُكَلِّمُ النَّاسَ فِي الْمَهْدِ وَكَهْلًا وَإِذْ عَلَّمْتُكَ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ وَالتَّوْرَاةَ وَالْإِنْجِيلَ وَإِذْ تَخْلُقُ مِنَ الطِّينِ كَهَيْئَةِ الطَّيْرِ بِإِذْنِي فَتَنْفُخُ فِيهَا فَتَكُونُ طَيْرًا بِإِذْنِي وَتُبْرِئُ الْأَكْمَهَ وَالْأَبْرَصَ بِإِذْنِي وَإِذْ تُخْرِجُ الْمَوْتَى بِإِذْنِي وَإِذْ كَفَفْتُ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلَ عَنْكَ إِذْ جِئْتَهُمْ بِالْبَيِّنَاتِ فَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا فَقَالَ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْهُمْ إِنْ هَذَا إِلَّا سِحْرٌ مُبِينٌ وَإِذْ أَوْحَيْتُ إِلَى الْحَوَارِيِّينَ أَنْ آمِنُوا بِي وَبِرَسُولِي قَالُوا آمَنَّا قَالُوا آمَنَّا وَاشْهَدْ بِأَنَّنَا مُسْلِمُونَ 